0: I invite you to turn with me to our scripture passage this morning will be from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And let me say, before I read the scripture, it's a blessing and a, a privilege to be back with you, Eastbridge. It looks like the uh, it'll be about uh, once a month that I've been coming, and so you don't get too much of me, but um, you get to see me every now and then, so... <laughs> I believe that's a good balance, and it's really a blessing, again, to be back with you on the Lord's Day. Uh, So may the Lord continue to bless you and to bless your pastoral search committee, too. I will be in prayer for them. The Lord's word to us from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is God's word. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. So, today, in this Lord's day, you were perhaps not expecting to come and hear a sermon on Revelation. The book of Revelation is indeed challenging. In some sections, but it is a treasure trove of encouragement and blessing and inspiration. I wish I had more time to explain this and to teach or preach from Revelation, but we have only time to focus on one passage this morning in chapter two. I would have to say, on a personal note, that the book of Revelation has a special place in my life as a young teenager, uh, not a Christian. Revelation was one of the books in the Bible that the Lord used to turn me to to Christ. Believe that, a young man who had never studied the Bible before, reading Revelation. So I invite you today to look in the words of the last book in the Bible, where we will read a letter written more than 2,000 years ago to an ancient church that records the very words spoken by Jesus. Himself, And it will both challenge and encourage us because the words that Christ spoke to the Ephesian church in the first century are very, very relevant for us today in the 21st century in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. The first section of Revelation after the Apostle John who wrote Revelation while he was in exile on Patmos, John sees a glorious vision of the risen Christ. And then after this wonderful vision you read about in chapter one, interestingly, there comes a group of letters, spoken words from Christ written to seven churches in the ancient Roman Empire. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And there's been a lot of speculation about what exactly these letters are and these words to these churches. But most commentators, and I would agree with this, that these were real-life churches who received a unique message from Christ himself for them and, by extension, for us, too. Each of the letters is very personal. And you've probably picked that up as you read through as I was reading the passage Jesus speaks directly to the churches, and he praises them, and he challenges them as well. Jesus gives both commendation, that is a praise, and he also gives an admonition. He admonishes each of the churches for ways that they have stumbled, and we'll see that in our passage today. And through them, we can learn and we can be encouraged today, and you can as East Bridge Church, because not much has changed since the first century. The church is still the church. We still meet on the Lord's Day to worship, to sing, to hear the word of God proclaimed. And Christ is still Jesus Christ, our risen and faithful Savior. So let's listen to Christ's words today to the Ephesians and let's be encouraged and challenged by them. In verse one of our passage, the apostle John is told by Christ to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. And commentators disagree about what this word means and it could refer to a literal angel or possibly more generally to a messenger. We're not sure. There's some different, differing opinions on that. But what follows is Jesus's commendation and his admonition to this church. The same, by the way, the same Ephesian church that you read, the book of Ephesians, was another letter written to this well-known church. The first thing that Jesus praises is their endurance. And you see this in verse 2. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. What does it mean then to endure in the faith? Well, first it means to endure means to keep going no matter how hard or costly or difficult the path becomes. Those of you like me who were runners or maybe are runners, know very well how hard it is to endure when you're about two-thirds of the way finished with a race. And I know those of you, again, who are runners, you're thinking, yes, I remember that. Your body hurts. You're tired. You can barely breathe, and you just want nothing more than to stop and to rest. We have a clue of how the Ephesians were enduring because in verse 2, they were not bearing with those who did evil. And they were testing those who falsely claimed to be apostles and teachers. So the Ephesians were enduring in these good works and challenging works because clearly there was a presence of evil and false teaching in Ephesus and even within their church. Second, enduring means to not grow weary. Jesus commends the Ephesians in verse three. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. How easy it is and it can be for us as believers in Christ to grow weary. It may seem like the battle never ends against heresy, against false teachers, against false teaching against those who twist the Bible to make it sound like what they want. And also the battle against indwelling sin that all of us will have until glory. We will have the remnants of sin still the one day in heaven, we will be free from sin, but we still battle that all of us do. We face a hostile world that the Lord would said would hate us for our witness For him. So, for example, Eastbridge Church. You don't want to go to that church because, fill in the blank, because they preach the Bible. You don't want to go to Eastbridge Church because they believe Jesus is the only way to salvation, because they believe that God has a design for the sexual union between a husband and wife in the covenant of marriage. It is not hard to become weary when we are slandered by the world. It can be tiring, it can be wearying. And it seems like the battle has intensified in recent years. Maybe you have picked up on this as you watch the news and look on social media. It seems like the criticism and attacks of God's church have increased and they've always been there. But if you're like me, it seems like you're noticing it more. But take heart because Jesus is with us. He has won the victory. He has endured. So trust him and endure with him. Jesus also praises the Ephesians because they opposed false Teaching. In verse 6, we have a curious passage. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So Jesus commends the Ephesians for opposing a group called the Nicolaitans. And we aren't sure exactly who this group was, but we can conclude that they were a heretical group spreading unbiblical teaching. Within the church and probably outside the church as well, and possibly to other churches in the region close to Ephesus. And this is a sign of a healthy church. First, not to tolerate false teaching, to recognize it, and then to test those who claim to be teachers. You do this also, Eastbridge Church. You discern and test Bible teachers and preachers to see if what they teach aligns with Scripture. And your elders, your session, has a particular charge from God uh, to do that, to discern and to be wise about teaching and teachers. Looking carefully into God's Word to see if that preacher, what he says, truly aligns with what the Bible says and teaches or if he puts forth his own opinions about things. So Jesus's words are unmistakable here. He hates the Nicolaitans. And whoever this false group of teachers, group of false teachers was, not much has changed again. Because today, as you know, there are so many ways that false teachers can gain a platform. The internet and social media are fertile grounds for bad theology, bad teaching. I'm sure you've seen this on Facebook and even more so on YouTube. I have. Maybe you've encountered something on YouTube or, or social media and thought, who is this person and who gave him a platform to teach this? That has been an experience of mine, especially, particularly on YouTube. And today, it is very easy. You just create a blog, you create a Facebook page, a YouTube channel, and there's your platform. And somehow, the Nicolaitans had infiltrated the Ephesian church, even in the days before social media. This is why we in the church must be vigilant, and we must be on our guard about false teachers. It can be very subtle at times to recognize them. That is because false teaching often has the appearance of truth in it. C.S. Lewis once quoted in one of his books that by mixing in a little truth, they made the lie far stronger. It sounds biblical on the surface, but once you dig a little bit under the surface, you start to see that something is not right with this. Jesus also commends the Ephesians for testing those who claim to be apostles. And this goes hand to hand with false teaching, testing those who claim to be leaders and teachers in the church. Back in verse two, we read that Jesus commends the Ephesians because they tested those who claimed to be apostles and found them to be false. Now it's very possible that the Nicolaitans were a group whose leaders claimed to be apostles. Perhaps they claimed to have walked with Jesus and talked with him and seen him, but they really hadn't. They were twisting the words of Christ. And there are several ways as we think this morning about how we, how you as believers, how we as the church test uh, for false teaching and false teachers. And the first test we give on our checklist on your your checklist is does what they teach align with the word of God. That may seem painfully obvious to you but that is the first place we start is God's word. Does this teacher depart from the clear message of the gospel in the word of God? Does he say things that sound Unbiblical, that doesn't sound like what you read and find in the Gospels in God's Word. In Acts 17, the Bereans diligently searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul and Silas were preaching was true. Our second test on the checklist when we are looking for false teaching or discerning is, does the teacher rightly handle Scripture? Does he teach and handle the word of God correctly? This can be a little bit more difficult to spot, but another question to ask is, does this person read meaning into a passage of God's word instead of allowing the passage to speak for itself? Does he take a verse or verses out of context and build a doctrine around it rather than examining and looking at what all of the Bible says about this topic. It's a very common sign of a false teacher is taking one verse out of its context and building something and reading something into it. The third checklist is, does the teacher draw attention to himself? This is very common in um, false teaching is they will draw people not to Christ, but to themselves. And often they will be very charismatic and very easy to listen to and uh, very well liked and smooth talking, but they will draw attention to them and not to Christ. That's a, a major red flag, is am I being drawn closer to Jesus Christ by this person? So, these are ways that we, like the Ephesians did 2,000 years ago, we can recognize you as individuals, we as the church, false teachers in our midst. As we move on today in our passage, we see, we have seen Jesus' commendation, how he has praised the Ephesians, but now we have an admonition. This is the pattern in each of the seven churches in Revelation. If you read on to through chapter three, you'll see this pattern. Jesus commends each church, and then he gives them an admonition. He gives them a corrective of things that they are doing wrong, except for two, Smyrna and Philadelphia. You'll find that Jesus had nothing bad to say about them. They were two churches that were right on track. But the Ephesians were stumbling in an area. And it is never easy to be admonished. All of you and I remember when we were young, when your parents disciplined you. You remember that? And it was never pleasant, or it shouldn't have been pleasant. It was never pleasant for me when I had that look from my mother or father. Particularly my mother would have a look on her face and I knew that it was coming, here it comes. So Jesus does the same thing in the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. But we can trust that even as we hear his words of admonition that he is our good shepherd. He loves us with a perfect love and though he disciplines us with a fatherly discipline he will always do so for good, for our good. And he will always do so perfectly. In verse four of our passage, Jesus says, but this I have against you. I'm sure this was painful to hear. It will grieve the heart of any true Christian to hear our Lord say, but this I have against you. But let's remember today. Let's remember Hebrews chapter 12 that Christ's discipline in our lives is for good. It is always loving. It is always perfect. And you, I'm sure, can think of times when the Lord has brought trials or hardships or discipline of some kind into your life. I know I can think of many, many occasions like that. But I'm also certain that you can look back on those difficult times and see how you grew in your faith how the Lord made you more and more like Christ in the image of our Savior. How you saw your sin more clearly and you wanted to put it off and put it to death and how you grew closer to God through that trial and that difficulty. Hebrews 12, 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That is God's promise to you and to me. So Jesus says in verse four, I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And some translations you may have this morning say you have turned from your first love. The Old Testament is full of examples of people particularly the kings of Israel and Judah who turned from their first love who turned away from God and think of Ahab or Manasseh evil kings in the Old Testament but how does God how does the Bible describe Josiah the king of Judah who was probably the godliest king of all it says that he did not turn to the right or to the left so not turning to the right or to the left. This is an excellent description of a believer not turning away from his first love. <clears throat> from the love he had at first. So what happened then in Ephesus and what can cause a church to turn away from their first love? We're not sure for certain what happened in Ephesus in the Ephesian church, but we can draw perhaps some conclusions from the times they lived in. Much like today, there was pressure from the culture on those who professed faith in Jesus. The Romans at that time did not recognize Christianity as a religion as it did with Judaism. Judaism was not an official religion in the Roman Empire, but it was recognized by the Roman authority, and it was given some legitimacy but Christians had no protection like that. My wife and I recently watched a video series on the seven churches in Revelation and the presenter described how it would have been difficult for Christians to join trade guilds in their cities. And certainly the church as today would have been full of workers and craftsmen and laborers because the guilds were in a sense, dedicated or sponsored by pagan gods and goddesses in those days. They were patrons of the trade guilds. So when you went to a guild meeting or a meal, the meal and probably the prayers would have been offered in the name of the god or the goddess. Imagine how difficult this would have been for the Christians in those days to come or maybe to have to refuse to go And to face that pressure from them. Even if it costs us our lives, let us not abandon the love we had at first for Christ. We can be certain that the one true, ultimate first love of any Christian or any true church is love for Jesus Christ, for his person, for his word, for his great work of salvation. Through faith alone. First, our love for Jesus is a love for his person, for who he is. He is truly the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, who became incarnate for us, taking on to himself a fully human nature without sin. It is love for him as our good shepherd how he loves and cares for us like his sheep, like a true shepherd. So reflect on that today of how Jesus is your good shepherd and your risen savior. The second way we don't turn away from the love we had at first for Christ is we show a love for Christ in his word. Is the word of God first and important in your life, in your family's life? in this church. As I've had the privilege of worshiping you, I see that the word of God is held high in Eastbridge Church. And for that, I commend you. Is God's word the standard of your life or is it merely something to briefly read during Sunday morning? These are all questions we need to ask ourselves. Thirdly, our first love, our First love for Jesus is a love for his work of salvation. Jesus said in John six, all the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Matthew twenty twenty eight says, the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And Romans five, eight tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Does this fire your spirit with love for our risen savior? Is knowing him greater than knowing or having anything else in the world? These are all good questions to ask ourselves so that we do not turn away from our first love as believers. Now it's true that many people claim to love Jesus today, but do we truly love him for who he is? And do we truly love him for his work of saving us from our sins, taking the punishment that we deserved for our sins on himself and giving us his perfect record. That is how we stay on and not forget our first love is looking to Christ and loving him for what who he is and for what he has done for us. So verse five closes here in our passage, remember and repent. Jesus says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So remembering is a call and a challenge for you. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, Isaiah 44 says, for you are my servant. I formed you, you are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. Remembering what God has done for you in Jesus Christ and repenting and coming back to the works we did and you did at first. So this is a challenging passage for us today. And if you're like me, maybe it challenged you for the first time to think, to thank the Lord for what he has done for you. God's word is like a mirror to us. It shows us our sin. It shows us how we need Christ. And it shows us the ways that we have turned from him and perhaps turned from our first love. So let's be encouraged today that the Lord knows us. Let's hear the commendation that Jesus gave the Ephesians to endure, to be patient, to test false teachers. And let us hear his admonition too, to come back to him. And if you feel like you have turned away from the Lord today, if you have turned from your first love, know that as a believer in Christ, he is your shepherd and he will welcome you back. Repent and turn back to him. So to you, Eastbridge Church, do not lose sight today of the love you had at first, your first love, our faithful savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, today this is a blessing that we can hear you and hear your word. And we praise you for the Bibles that we hold in our hands this morning. Lord, there's so much more than a book, it is your word to us. So I do pray for each of us gathered here today. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to endure, help us to discern but also, Lord, to bring us back to you if we have cooled, if our hearts have turned from you. I pray for each person gathered here today that you would warm that fire again and that you would remind all of us, you are our shepherd and the shepherd who knows his sheep. And I do pray again, Father, for Eastbridge Church that you would continue to bring your your blessing and your, um, your grace on them as they as they serve you, and as they look for a pastor. uh, May you bless them this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.